This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, Megan. Hello, Rob. And here we are for Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1164. Ooh, I feel like we should put a, a THX in front of that. <laughs> Our title for today is Could Be Star Wars, <laughs> which is a, a, a bit of a riff off the old uh, thing. We're talking about some kind of movie that came out, a big one or something, you know. don't know what the hell it is, uh, some kind of... Space film? Some space thing. Some space thing. And our podcast title today is uh, Potadamarung. That is such a good pun. I'm so proud of myself for that. (laughs) Because this film that we're going to talk about, it's quite apocalyptic and it features a certain lunkhead pilot. Yes. (laughs) So there you go. Uh how, How far are we going to go down into the spoiler valley? Well, this is the question. I think... I mean, I honestly think there's only maybe one to two big spoilers. Yeah. But there's a lot of smaller plot-based reveals that I personally would love to talk about. But Mm. it's whether we'd be... I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try my best um, if I think I'm going to give away anything that's a real spoiler. And you know what? Even telling people how many new planets are in this, people can consider it as a spoiler. Yeah, I think we want to sit somewhere in the mid-range of spoilers. Yeah, all right, we'll try. So. Something uh, that occurred to me as I was playing that little um, (laughs) riff there, which actually was uh, the 20th Century Fox Fanfaria by Hiroyuki Tomonaga from her album Ukulele Force. Of course it is. I thought that was brilliant, actually. Yeah. to talk about, just to start mm. things off, the Disney-Fox merger. The big news that Disney is taking over the world. Somehow I think it's like, I'm thinking now like of a fox with little mouse ears. Exactly. Something like that. Media as we know it will never be the same. $68.3 billion. <laughs> you know, that's more than the gross national product. Um, um, what do they call it? Gross national product? Yeah. Of a um, couple of countries, at least. Mm. Uh, way back in 2009, Disney bought Marvel Entertainment, and we have not looked back since. And in 2015, they made that deal with Sony so they could um, borrow Spider-Man yes. for Civil War and um, Spider-Man Homecoming, which is still the Sony sort of film. They still have the rights there. Uh, and basically, Disney's buying the Fox movie and television studios and some cable and international telly businesses as well. And they're doing this as f- far as people can work out, <laughs> says he tactically, uh, to, so they can um, get their own branded streaming services coming up like ESPN and, uh, and Disney, obviously to um, to battle against Netflix and Amazon and the others. And, yeah, Hulu in the US and whatnot. What will this mean for um, Netflix's uh, Marvel shows? Well, they were always at risk, weren't they, though? In that I think there's been a lot of discussion because I remember a little while ago there was talks about how Disney wanted to launch its own streaming services and so the Marvel property that's on Netflix now was already considered at risk. Now this makes more sense because they've revealed the Fox-Disney merger and so I think they're even more at risk in that they'll probably be pulled over into whatever Hmm. platform or whatever series or whatever. But I don't know what... Deals would have already been made for, with Netflix yeah. for that property. How long they can have that for? And then there's Agents of Shield and Inhumans, which is not doing so well. But you know, there's a couple of other spin-off series that they've they've got in the works and animated shows as well. Yeah. So I could imagine like an enormous um, part of their streaming would actually be just Marvel content. Well, I mean, and also I think. I mean, it's quite the powerhouse if you think about everything that they could have that falls under their umbrella. Yeah, now. They've got Pixar, they've got um, Marvel, they've got all the Star Wars properties, they've got Fox now. And I want to see the crossovers, of course, Beauty and the Predator, you know. (laughs) Surely they've done that already. No, (laughs) no, not really. Uh, And, of course, the, the, um, the mutant in the room... 
X Men. Uh, and everyone says, oh, I see X Men versus Avengers. I'm not, I don't really want to see that. I, I, I live through the versus. comics. I live through the comics. I wasn't all that impressed with them. But of course, Deadpool, yeah. If they bring yeah. Deadpool with them, because he's a mutant too, I want to see Deadpool versus, and actually not even versus, Deadpool in the Avengers. Think of how he would get along the with The dynamic America. would just be, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and, and Wolverine and Rocket Raccoon. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> the dynamic there would be incredible. I think actually Rocket might be taller <laughs> than the original Wolverine, not Hugh Jackman. And will Hugh Jackman come back? Oh, I doubt it. No? Not, mm. w- w- he said before that he'd be tempted if he could be with the Avengers. Yeah, <laughs> you always say that not thinking it'll be true. And here's, here's another thing. Are they gonna, would they reboot the yeah, X-Men. true. Well, they've done that plenty already. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> actually, they haven't. Uh, X-Men has never been rebooted in the 13 movies. Um, they've had no reboots since they started them up in uh, 2000. They've had some side sidelines and some kickabouts where they've uh, gone backwards and forwards in time and so on, but reboots as such, no. I suppose you could... Um, I suppose you could say that Deadpool is kind of a reboot in a way because they had... But even that's the same actor. Yeah, I suppose they've had a revamp, I guess, is more what I mean. They've definitely come at it from a different angle. But you're right, nothing's really... Mm. I mean, Days of Future Past and um, First Class, they're still in that canon of the originals. And there are enough good X-Men movies. Yes, there are. So so that I actually wouldn't like that to be rebooted. You know what? Mm. Probably the best way to do it, just... Do it as a fait accompli, just to go, oh, and the X-Men, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Although they'd need a um, they'd need a new Professor X because he's, mm. yeah, so that would be complex, wouldn't it? Or would they just... Well, it depends on what time period where... Wait for James McAvoy to grow up. <laughs> Sorry. What we're doing. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the options are the ever, never-ending... Uh, yeah. Parallel universes of what could be done. Yeah, I could do a parallel universe. Um, and then there's the Fantastic Four. <laughs> which have, I would definitely be rebooting that. They need yeah. a, sh- a, a shot. Someone yeah. needs to take them and, and fix yeah, them. Give They're it its Marvel's, best shot. Marvel's first family, they should be done properly. I feel sad for Fantastic Four. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and actually, but Fox doesn't actually have the, the, um, the property, or the intellectual property rights for those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a company called Constantine Films, a German company that has the, the actual oh, property that's rights. Okay. Uh, the distribution rights are with Fox. Yeah. Um, Constantine, um, they're the ones who pump out the Resident Evil films as well. They oh, have the rights right. to that yep, too. Yep, yep. So, yeah, you know, this is, it's early days on all of this. And here we are obsessing over that and not <laughs> totally ignoring the fact that Disney could become like the world company. And I also think they're very prolific. Like if you look at what already is happening with some of their big properties, they're scheduling a lot of iterations. They're really churning things out. They're trying to revive things. And it's all like this big money-making ball that kind of rolls along and sucks up different cultural properties and then spits them back out. We are ball. for a fee. We are, you know? <laughs> we, are, we are we are Borg. You will be part of the collective. Yeah, resistance it's, it's is like futile. At the end of days, it's just Google headquarters and Disney headquarters and a desolate field of corpses. In, in the end, it will be the Disney Galaxy. Yeah, you know, taken over the entire galaxy. Well, they'll be just patching straight into our brains. Yeah. each different. But but I, but as I said, it only might not come to pass because um, I think the American, you know, the antitrust committee is going to have a look at it. It might be too big a merge, you know, something yeah. like that. And I mean, surely, surely Trump's America can stand up to big business. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> so in like 10 years' time, we'll both be sitting here with mouse caps on. <laughs> I know. Just talking solely about how good all of the Disney content is, I'm which is be, everything. I'm going to be part of the Ripple Alliance. I will wear my mouse ears fore to aft instead of <laughs> the thwarts. <laughs> we'll wait and see, Rob. They get to everyone. They do, don't they? <laughs> all right. Okay, enough of that for now. And um, one of the things about Mark Hamill is that he's he's actually – an actor who I would have really liked to have seen build upon his yeah. Star Wars launch instead of being typecast by it. Yeah. 
But if you actually have a look at his acting career, he's actually done quite a lot, and a lot of that is, is voice acting. Yes. A huge amount of that, and that ain't nothing, especially since he has actually done what I consider to be the definitive Joker mm. voice, at least. <laughs> so um, I thought I'd give you a little bit of um, Shirley Walker and Mark Hamill here Ooh. doing a bit of a, a Christmassy with the Joker sort of thing. Cool. <laughs> wow! Hey, Space Buddies, I'm Danny John Jules. I play the cat on Red Dwarf, and I gotta tell you that listening to Zero G is fashionable as wearing knee-length socks with thongs. Zero G, industrial strength sci-fi pum-pum on three triple R. There, a little bit of Mark Hamill there telling us about the olfactory problems of the Batman with um, Mark playing the Joker there. He does a great Joker voice. <laughs> See, I've heard him um, read out uh, President Trump's tweets in oh, Joker voice. It. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so now we are into a talking about a little film that came out, a little indie, indie number that came out over the, uh, the <laughs> Just weekend. Just a small film that rolled film. through unnoticed. Yeah, um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. It's directed by R- Ryan Rian. Ryan. Ryan? Ryan, yeah. yeah. Even Scooby-Doo couldn't get that wrong. Johnson. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Ronson. And this film, he also wrote it too. Just yes. by the way, being a man of many talents. Our, and the produ- producers are, of course, Kathleen Kennedy and Ram Bergman. We know them through the Star Wars sort of canon. Um, now, we know that um, Ryan did uh, Looper. Back in 2012. That's probably his big genre credit. Yeah. So I have been a fan of his since he did Brick, which was oh, quite yes. a while earlier. It was sort of a high school noir. Mm-hmm. Had Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. Really, really good. Kind of a little crime caper. Very moody. Mm-hmm. Um and that was kind of what – and apparently I, I read somewhere that he, like, edited it on his MacBook or something. Anyway, so then that kind of got him on the map. And then I know Looper is his kind of big entry into sort of genre stuff. And it was a good one too. And it was well received. And I really liked Looper. Again, and obviously he has a big thing for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was also in that. I think he doesn't he have a bit part in this somewhere as a cameo floating around something or other. Not that I saw. I, I, he's oh, listening. You know, I'm pretty sure he's there. Keep you know, eyes like, peeled. There's a couple of royals in there, mm. and people thrown into the mix. Usually, they stick them in stormtrooper costumes or monsters and stuff. Yeah, like the um, Daniel Craig cameo yeah. in the first one. Uh, he also did. Um, that's in uh, free Breaking Bad episodes. Yes, he did some of the ones in the last season, right? Mm, Fly, as well, especially a good one, that one. And uh, 51 and Ozymandias. Uh, as also, he also worked on BoJack Horseman, but we won't <laughs> go into That's that. right. Yeah, I remember he did Ozymandias. I remember um, being... I liked that those last few episodes were really heavy hitting. He um, played an, Im- an impy tech in Rogue One as well. He had his cameo huh. in that. And kind of being a technician... Uh, suits the, the mood for um, Star Wars The Last Jedi because it's a very procedural film, I feel. Mm. And maybe that, maybe that plays off that noir sort of thing as well. But he, he said before the director that he was, being, he was inspired by Annie Hall. Yeah, right. Which is quite a different film. I guess, I mean, there is something very distinct about the aura of this film that's yeah. quite different to if you compare it to even Force Awakens or if you compare it to even any of the um, previous films, like obviously the original trilogy has its own vibe and then the new films have their own vibe. Force Awakens very much tapped into the more nostalgia feeling, but I think he's brought not the seriousness of Rogue One, but there's a definite... Um, it's know. an upgrade. Yeah, I, I, I'm into it. I like uh, he also said that he uh, got um, the people working on it to watch 12 O'Clock High, which is a World War II bomber mm, yeah, movie, yeah. Um, Bridge on the River Kwai with Alec Guinness, yeah. <laughs> Gunga Din, um, a, f- a film called Free Outlaw Samurai too, which is an interesting pick, uh, Sahara, the Humphrey Bogart one, and yeah. Letter Never Sent. And actually if you go through and pick all of those, you can see some of the kind of feelings, especially the World War II thing, which is appropriate for Star Wars because that's what um, that's what Paul Lucas used originally when he uh, yes. <laughs> he, he uh, did Star Wars. And, and out, a Free Outlaw Samurai, again, um, uh, Hidden, Hidden Fortress, um, yeah. another inspiration for Lucas. I mean, because, yeah, this is a war film. Like, it's an oppositional film. It's about two sides mm-hmm. and, all, and all of that 
what that entails. It begins immediately after the last scene of The Force Awakens. Plugs right in there. Um, And the Force-sensitive woman, Rey, along with Chewbacca and R2-D2 and the Millennium Falcon, have arrived on the planet That's how I'll pronounce it. Where she asks the reluctant and retired Jedi Master Luke Skywalker to train her in his sorcerer's ways. Oh, and to help the Rebellion in its hour of need. Yes. And the Rebellion is very needy indeed, as the powerful Imperial Remnant, the First Order, commanded by Supreme Leader Snoke. Yes. Having destroyed several of the Rebel Alliance Resistance's key planets in The Force Awakens, is now closely pursuing, pursuing the main Resistance fleet. Doesn't waste any time. No. Snoke and his apprentice, Kylo Ren, would also like to get their paws on Luke Skywalker. Ren has been revealed as Ben Solo, the son of Han Solo and Leia Organa, who, <laughs> having gone over to the dark side of the Force, killed his father in The Force Awakens. Exactly. You've had time. That's not a spoiler. If you haven't seen Force Awakens, that's on you. Yeah, and Rosebud's a sled. (laughs) Ren Ren Ben (laughs) seems hell-bent on completing the orphan set by destroying the rest of the Resistance, including his mother, General Organa, commander of the fleet. Yes. A strong woman in power. In power, yeah. Several strong women in power on this. Yes, let's get to that at some point too. Unpack that too. Um, I saw this in 3D. I went and trotted along to a 2D session, so I'd be interested. I mean, there's one standout scene which we won't discuss in detail that I think would have been outstanding in 3D, but I'm keen to get your take on whether it's worth the 3D. I don't think so. Okay. Um, It enhanced it as usual with that, uh, or enhanced... It was behind the uh, the window depth, and yep. that's okay. If if, yep. if you're into that, um, that's fine. I I do miss before the screen stuff. Yeah, you know, there are things that should be thrown at the, uh, yep. the camera. Uh, when uh, a couple of weeks ago, when you're on leave, the uh, he says on leave on like, leave <laughs> <laughs> on on a, on a, on on shore leave. <laughs> um, we I was talking about Kiss Me Kate, uh, an old uh, movie in 3D, mm. and that had a lot of in your face coming at you 3D. Yeah. It was glorious because they've adjusted. They don't they don't do that anymore. No, no, it's seen it's as a bit of a depth. cliche, yeah. and 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 they're not really as set up for it as they used to be. No, I think it's gone out of trend. It's not on Vogue anymore. It's also to to do with the actual model of um, 3D that they set out to switched, yeah. To, yeah. But anyway, um, it's so, still stunning. I think some of the visuals in this are deliberately tailored to be just to look striking. And yeah. I think overall, the color palette of this film, the cinematography, and some of those key battle scenes just—it looks incredible. Mm. It just doesn't two D or whatever. It just didn't snap in three D. That's all I'm saying. There you know. was no extra. So yeah. yeah. So you might, okay. you know, from my point of view, it wasn't anything special in three D terms. There are some moments, of yep. course. Yep. Um, you know, some some planetary scenes, some yep. spaceships. There's a few spaceships in this film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have looked pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's it's all about uh, the film is all about the Skywalkers and what crap parents and teachers they demonstrable demonstrably are. I mean, seriously, these mm. people should not be allowed near younglings at all ever. They try. <laughs> they try. <laughs> so, I mean, this is to me this is a character film, a very heavy character film and it's Oh, uh, really? Sort of, yeah. I don't disagree, but I also think there's something about oh, this there are other elements. where it sits in the middle of a trilogy where there's so much action. It's very mm. action driven. Yeah. And I liked that about it, but I agree there's a lot of character stuff happening too. A lot of Carrie stuff too. Carrie Fisher in her role as Princess Leia, unfortunately her final appearance before her death. Um I'm. I, I was moved by her performance. She was quite solid in the role. Yes. Um, she, it felt like it felt like she'd grown into it even more than she had in that one one appearance. No, it that, was. Those, you know, I the agree. Original sort of. Movies. It was just a very elegant portrayal. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was uh, wistful and with that foreknowledge, of course. Yeah, you know, it's just, it just it was lovely. Um, I think. Um, I'm kind of sad that at times they moved the action away from her. I could have actually watch her for the whole film, basically, mm, just to I, shout. I think the balance was nice, though. And, of course, her opposite, her, her twin brother, yes, uh, Mark Hamill, playing Luke Skywalker, powerful Jedi Master. Um, watching him, again, as I said, we really needed to see more of this actor along the way, yeah. I, I think. Um, and I am glad that I've heard a lot of him as a voice actor. Uh, and I think he adopts the robes of a failed sensei very well. And I think that 
something about the maturity of this film if you compare it to Force Awakens. Yeah. Those older characters really have a chance to be a stately kind of presence on screen. Yeah. Whereas before in Force Awakens, looking back, they felt a little bit patched in, like, yeah. look, novelty value, they're here. Look, Luke. <laughs> Whereas this is, is, is organic, it's part of the film. Or... Go on. Organic. Organic. <laughs> Organic. <laughs> um, and he's got a little, he, he's got a he's got a sense of humour which which permeates the whole film anyway. And I'm so glad of that because without that, this film would be very po faced. It would be very. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays it also with uh, uh, a world weariness that I think suits him well in this. Um, and you know, I mean, just thinking about the humour. There's even, and this is kind of a spoiler. There's even a nod to a film called Hardware Wars, um, a little um, science fiction spin-off, a little tiny little send-up of Star Wars, okay. where all the spaceships were replaced with toasters and and steam irons and stuff. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> and there is a tribute to it in this film that cracked me up. There's a lot of comedy checks in this. Yeah. Doesn't always work, but no. the bar for comedy in Star Wars has not been particularly high. I mean, and I think, I mean, one thing that I want to get to at some point, Rob, is that this is by far the sexiest entry in a Star Wars <laughs> film. <laughs> so I think it's trying to balance a lot of elements, and that said, it, it did well. I think they played the nostalgia card more effectively for Luke and Leia than they did for Paul Hahn in the first film, The exactly. Force Awakens. Uh, although Chewie and R2 and Freepy are pretty much background for a lot of it or comic relief. Well, Chewie doesn't have much to do at all. No, no. Well, not, none of them do. If only they'd translate what he's saying. I like that too, that, that <laughs> it's not. Maybe, maybe Seth MacFarlane should read oh, this God. line. Don't even joke about that. Please take it back. <laughs> I think one thing just before we move off the older um, characters, and this isn't my point, this is actually a point that my friend made when we saw the film together, Mm. that it's really, and I totally agree, is that it's really lovely that we rarely see older actors in this type of action movie and because this franchise has brought back a lot of the old characters and they're older now and, you know, just having characters of that age as a centre point in a film like this... It anchors it. It's fantastic and Mm. I think... There's, you know, I think this movie does a lot with casting that's very inclusive, that's very diverse and feels very real, like real people, not just a bunch of pretty actors on set. Yeah. Um, And I really, I agree, it anchors it very nicely Mm. and gives it a bit of extra emotion in a really easy way. Uh, Well, yes, I, I agree. And, of course, she was our princess. Yeah. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? (laughs) Yeah. I I missed seeing the Enterprise in Star Wars, actually. Um, I still feel that... uh it should have had that in there and a few more lens flares of those all those lightsabers. The, the opportunity there was not to be missed. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, a little film called um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. We try not to be too spoilery about it. No. But... There are some things I want to talk about that I don't think would be construed as a spoiler mm-hmm. but that I'm not, not going to talk about because it was very important for me. And, and obviously we can't talk really about how they handled the fact that Prince uh, that Carrie Fisher had died. No, I think it's best if we leave some of those things uh, hanging, if you will. Yeah. Um, okay, so <clears throat> uh, moving over to some of the other characters, um, I thought Adam Driver as Kylo Ren was a lot better this time. Oh, yes, don't even get me started on it. He grew into it. Yeah. Um, he's still too much emo for me. but oh, I love him. I'm all about <laughs> Kylo Ren. I'm all about Ben Solo. I really feel like this entry... I mean, I was already on side for Kylo Ren in Mm. Force Awakens, but you're right, they build on this child with a lightsaber thing and he's got a lot more depth. He's very complex and I think he's actually really lovely um, offset in terms of if he's going to be the key villain. Mm. I think they've built it very well. Also, I just love Adam Driver. Well, um, one thing... I said this uh, when I saw The Force Awakens, and I'll say it again, and um, and this can go either way if you're going to watch the film. Does anyone really believe that you can be redeemed from killing your dad in cold blood when your I dad's mean, not some kind of evil monster? It was Han Solo, for God's sake. But I think that that's the kind of point around it is 
that there's a lot of people who would think he's beyond redemption so wouldn't try, hmm. whereas some people feel that perhaps that you can still reach someone like that and that you can still bring out the light side if they're conflicted about it. Hmm. And I think they delved into that a little bit around his feelings on it and so forth yeah. and some other actions and things that he did. So I think that I take the point, but I like that there's grey area that they're trying to explore here. Certainly no grey area in the fact that he's heavily scarred from his battle with um, Ray and Finn. Mm. Uh, more from Ray, I think, than Finn. But, uh, yeah. And yet again, we have another Star Wars villain who has a physical deformity or... But it's a very cosmetic, a speech sexy one. Or a so speech okay. impediment. He doesn't have a speech impediment. No. Oh, but you mean or. Yeah, that's that's your default. But that's how you know they're evil, Rob. They're either ugly, disfigured, you know. It's so simple. Well, they wear. Well, actually, they did. They did break the uh, the mold of um, you wear black if you're evil. Yeah. Although Kylo does wear black. I also think that, and I mean, I don't think this is a spoiler, and I think it's a, a happy thing that they've dispensed <laughs> quite quickly, and they've written in just getting rid of that helmet. Like yeah. part of what I felt the letdown in Force Awakens is he spent half the time under that stupid helmet, and you couldn't really hear him as well. It it, the, it just was ridiculous. So I'm really glad that straight off the bat we get Adam Driver's face out yeah. for this whole. Pretty much whole film. He's so. no longer like um, Judge Darth. He's out of his helmet, and he is the, he is the law. <laughs> exactly. But um, okay, uh, I actually have I don't have really any problems with his performance. I thought he he integrated into it well. He did exactly what mm. um, I think he needed to do in this film. I think I think for me the strong point of this film is his performance mm-hmm. and some of the the storyline around him. Um, by far, and I think it's something that I really am happy that the Star Wars that this film has done, and that I'm quite concerned will not be brought to the fruition that it could be brought to in the next instalment. Oh, yeah. So I'm very worried because J.J. Abrams is on the next one, and he's very good at kitsch, but he's a very unsexy director. It's very um, just thinking about some of the interplay between um, uh, Ray and and Ren. <laughs> Sorry, there's too much. <laughs> Ray and Ren between Ray. This is not a. This is a really good film for Scooby Doo. Uh, between Ray and Ren, the, um, the 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 interplay between them, I think, is excellent. Yeah. Uh, and it leads to, and that's possibly more important than their actual interplay. It leads to some really great scenes. Yeah. In, in one in particular, which I won't spoil, but it's um, it actually felt so classy. I'm afraid to say it felt like it belonged in another film. Oh. <laughs> I just. It was very. There was chemistry, there was tension. I mean, and there's also some visual kind of imagery galore in terms of I really think what he's tried to do here is present this two oppositional sides that are like two magnets that are drawn together but Mm. repel each other and all of the things that that entails. And I think they both have such a great chemistry and it works so well. This is not a spoiler because I'm not going to tell you the answer but... um I very much liked the answer to the question of who Ray's parents were. Mm. I thought that was extremely satisfying. Yes. And not that I trust the source of the information entirely <laughs> or at all. Yes. I do hope it sticks because it's I a agree. damn good point. And I also think the implications of it for where the story could go and what some of the metaphorical things that could be explored, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I like those possibilities. And, again, I'm scared that J.J. James is going to come in and just <laughs> sweep all this good work off the table and just plop down some lens flare and some running around and some unsexy chemistry relationships and let g- Let go, Megan. <laughs> I just, I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, I mean, we've got form on this, haven't we? We've got um, th- those first three original films. We've got Star Wars, great. Mm. We've got Empire Strikes Back, really good. Yeah. And then Return of the Jedi. Mm. <laughs> Crash, burn, etc. Yeah, so, you know, Force Awakens in this, I didn't think was all that good. Uh, but this one is their Empire Strikes Back. Mm. And is the next one going to be their teddy bear, their porg fest. Well, then that's the problem. Is it going to be that or is it going to be any of the new films? There's so much <laughs> room to go wrong. Yeah. Um, I John Boyega is thin and Oscar Isaac is Poe Dameron. I don't want to just dismiss them. They all have their moments. Yeah. Um, they're, uh, they're actually drivers 
not Adam drivers, but they're drivers of some of the action in the film, especially Poe because he's just this, his, his, his motto is, can I jump into an X-Wing and blow it up? Oh, and he, I mean, the main, his Sorry, main role. Blow something up, not, not the X-Wing. <laughs> his main role is, I mean, he has chemistry with everything. Yeah. He's very magnetic and he is, he's a plot driver. I mean, I think we need to talk about Finn. At this point, I'm sorry, but there is very little point to his being around. He's, like, I think he's a missed opportunity. He doesn't have chemistry with anything. I also think he's a bit of a missed opportunity in that there could have been a really lovely redemption arc where you go from Stormtrooper or Stormtrooper in the Starkiller base and come right around to, you know, that journey to becoming rebel scum. I just don't (laughs) think that was as... He wasn't a focus. No, and it wasn't fleshed out and I don't think he can carry that kind of arc and then it just becomes he's this earnest character that rolls around in the background making bad decisions. More comic relief sometimes. Sometimes that. And, I mean, I know he's meant to be the emotional heart but I don't think... I think that there's some issues with his character that he's becoming um, a little bit expendable. There is one good thing about um, Finn that I particularly enjoyed. He serves as a catalyst to bring in Kelly Marie Tran's character, Mm. Rose, the rebel maintenance technician. But I think that's them struggling to find something for Finn to do. Yeah. Okay. I I totally agree with that. But I still love Rose. She's she's every man or woman. Uh, She's just a tech. She's not really frontline... Um, you know, troopership in her rebel sort of scumminess. She's not special in air quotes. She's there to take the puff out of the hero's sails, which yeah. she does quite effectively. Um, I just loved her. She reminds me of the um, uh, the uh, the name escapes me. The character in Star Trek Discovery, who's similarly lower sort of rank sure. sort of thing. Yeah, um, she's. Um, uh, she's the uh, the child. This is the actress, child of uh, refugee migrants from mm. uh, Vietnam. And this is just a um, a great role and a great little character in there. And I think she represents, we explore some things around her backstory and some other ideas that I think is, they're trying to create a bridge to this kind of new idea about what, you know, destiny looks like. And I like that they've kind of used her as a catalyst to get the conversation happening. Yeah. She's not a chosen one. She's no, not... she's just come from humble origin, downtrodden origin, if you will. Um, she's not royal. She's not high ranking. She's just a person. I think isn't she like a plumber <laughs> on the. She's main, a maintenance, <laughs> maintenance tech. Maintenance yeah. tech. Yeah. Um, third class chicken soup vending machine technician. <laughs> Something like that. And speaking of um, uh, other people in here uh, who I also liked, I really liked. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson playing oh, yeah. General Hux. <laughs> He's really leaning into that. I think it's great. He's intentionally hilarious as he has to navigate the deadly whimsy and tantrums of his lethal masters. Uh, and he's so very British and there yeah. are so very many Brits because they filmed in Pinewood, um, partly. Yeah. The villains always sound better if they're British. We know that. You know that it's okay to be evil so long as you've got BBC-issued diction. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. I think he's, he's got a really great presence. And, and just being able to, to, to sort of like survive yeah. Snokes and, 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 um, and Kylo Ren sort of nonsense. He plays more for comedy in this too, but there are some moments where... I think they use him nicely. I think they need to use him more. Do you think he'll end up being emperor? <laughs> God, no. No way. He might be the last man standing. Who knows? Um, of course, we've got Andy Circus playing uh, Supreme Leader Snoke. Um, I wanted him to be little. I wanted him to be tiny. Uh, to contrast with the giant holograms yeah. in the first film. I was yeah. a bit disappointed. He's just a... I mean, I don't know. Is that a spoiler? Maybe. Yeah, I actually think he's pretty useless in, oh, in yeah. this film. He's his... Um, What's no, that Hitchcock term? He's the he's MacGuffin. A, he's a MacGuffin. He looks like a bit like a muffin, actually. And here we have another villain with some kind of deformity. Yeah. Once again. That's how you know he's evil because he's all decrepit looking. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, give me, give me a break here. Um, another, another person who I feel like is wasted still in this film, Gwendolyn Christie playing Captain Phasma. I know. Uh, she does get to fight, but... Um, so far, she just appears to be filling the armoured boots of Boba Fett. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, it is a bit. Because she's fantastic. Yeah. Wildly exactly. underused. Yeah, but not phasmastic. Um, Laura Dern plays oh. a, a, an admiral in the um, Rebel Scum Fleet. Yeah. There should be like, their ships could be like RS Akbar, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Rebel Scum Akbar. Uh, 
Um, I thought she was very impressive in this. Very impressive. Some good costuming too. <laughs> I think that the whole dynamic about if you look at kind of the resistance, I really, really like the composition of the people that are playing those roles. And also you see a range. There's like women in there, there's people of colour, there's older people. Aliens. Um, Exactly. I really feel like the casting in general and the women in power thing, I I really think that the way that was kind of um, portrayed in the film I think is actually very well done and Mm. makes you realise how poorly it's done in other films. Other Star Wars films. Well, exactly. (laughs) Like, I mean, you can't just shove in some token actors. I think this was kind of a true representation of... And I really, really loved... um Benicio del Toro playing. Uh, Benicio del Toro, yeah, <laughs> as he always. Another does. Ben, <laughs> but he he's always good. He, he plays an underworld code breaker. Mm. Um, I just thought he was great. Don't you think it's interesting? Like, I think his character and some of the other things that um, Finn and Rose went through. I mean, there he's Ryan Johnson's waving over some social commentary onto this film. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's some, and it's not even very concealed. <laughs> Um, there's some overt talks, you know, anti-war sentiment. Um, Anti-capitalist sentiment. Yeah, war, profiteering, all yep. kinds of things. And I thought that was really interesting to include because, as you mentioned, it's, Never it does really. focus a lot on conflict and a lot on... Never really explored beyond waving it over, um, it, apart from the implications of having certain characters do things and stuff. But, uh, you know, but, I mean, on the other hand, we've seen it when they've tried to go too heavy with that, with trade federations and stuff. And, and I hate when they try to go too expositional on all that. And it just stumbles magnificently. <laughs> I think the waving over was enough. This is Charles Ross, creator of the one-man Star Wars show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. <sighs> If you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor, you must be listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Ah, gee, Zero G, Dad. Don't dad me, son. I am your father. Uh, Okay, we're back here. Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Trying to keep it relatively... uh, Spoiler-free, more or less, you know. What can you do? You've got to talk about the film. Some stuff we have yeah, to Some talk stuff. About. World building. Yes. Tell me, what did you think? <laughs> I mean, I think, obviously, um, it's not really world building when you create a world specifically to drive a plot point or to fit some kind of specific means. But I think in terms of... Um, I I really enjoyed it. I think that we saw some new stuff. I don't know. We don't. How much should I get into this? There's basically uh, three new planets. One which we saw briefly during a Force Awakens. There yes. you go. Done. There you go. <laughs> oh and my god! I, I think one of them is treated nicely, and I think is a very good visual. I mean, and, and that's fine. I think that's in the trailer. That's the cool last combat mm. planet. I can't remember the name of him. Um, the salty planet. The salty planet, the red planet. Somehow I thought that the salt was going to play a part in the plot. No, <laughs> I think it was just a visual thing. Apart from the fact that it's going to provide a really hinky name for um, history. Assault on the salt planet. You yeah. Know. <laughs> but I think in terms of um, expanding on the Star Wars universe, it didn't do heaps, but no. it gave us more information on events we already know about. And it's certainly, I mean, a lot of this takes place in space, in battle, in ships. Hmm. And that's kind of, there's a core, um, there's a core part of the story that is one particular situation. And I think all of that played out really well. And I think the dynamics between people and their different storylines was actually woven together quite nicely. What was your take on Uh, I particularly liked... I like the, um, you know, Luke's little um, hermitage yes. island, which is actually Skellig Michael in Ireland, and um, it's covered in puffins. Oh, of course. I forgot about I'm like, what's the third planet? Obviously, yeah. yeah. Puffins. And there's a reason why there are porgs in the film. Oh, because there were puffins because everywhere. Because there were puffins everywhere, and they either had to digitally remove them mm-hmm. one by one Ugh. or else um, sort of sketch over them, yeah, and nice. that's what they did. Which is not so. There's absolutely no intent to make any money at all off of the pork well, creatures. Absolutely, nice no, effect. no, no. It's it's absolutely innocent and pure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you think about porgs? I think we're all always a bit 
wary when a new creature has been introduced. And it seems to be aesthetically engineered to be cute. cute. You know, a cross between a cat's big eyes. It's, it's got big eyes. It's got flappy little wings and little feet. And it tastes just like chicken. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it didn't irritate me much, basically. Mm. So I, I didn't feel... And the kids loved them, so... Yeah. I liked... There was, there's, a series, there's a series of new animals that are in uh, this film. You know, and um, Lost Porg restaurants are going to be so big, you know. <laughs> I just think they'd be great. Um, you know, they, they don't actually get in the way of the plot much. No. They do – occasionally they change gear to give you a, a porg um, mm. bit of comic relief. Um, Which I was fine with, to be honest. Yeah, it didn't. It's, you know, there, there's, kids do watch this. Yeah. It's not just yeah, – it's just exactly. this, you know, I'm over 50. It doesn't just belong to me. And <laughs> unlike the porgs, there are some other animals that are actually – Part of the story. And they're good. And I, I was really, really happy with them. All soon to be available in a toy store near yes, you. Exactly. Multiple sizes, yeah. multiple, you know, mm. make and model. Um, speaking of this sort of stuff, of uh, these sort of side missions that we go on during yes. the, um, the film, I thought that that did affect the pacing at times. Mm. Um, one of the things I liked about this film, there's some military aspects that I liked. I mean, it is called Star Wars. One of the things I like is that they uh, they get engaged in a prolonged manoeuvre mm-hmm. that's that's um, actually quite realistic in in some respects, uh, and I guess you had to get do side missions to break out of that. Yeah. Um, I did feel like I was. What's the metaphor somebody was using? Uh, it's like playing a video game and then going off on a side quest. Yeah, sure. Um, that did drag me out of the the drama a bit, but I was I was kind of happy to go along there. It didn't bother me too much. I did. There were a couple of moments where I noticed a distinct tone and pace shift, hmm. but it didn't disrupt it for me. I don't think it, it didn't upset me. The thing that did upset me? Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Rob's tried to prepare me for this. He <laughs> said, you're going to find it. You're going to shake your head. It, it, that dropped me well out of happy space. And we've talked about that when we talked about The Force Awakens. Uh, some some moment in the film that just drops me out of the what I'm what watching. What you've been, yeah, yeah, the little bubble that you've been sitting in. Yeah, my, yeah. my sense of disbelief sense of of wonder yeah um there's a couple of things um first off is this a spoiler no not really uh fuel becomes an issue okay since when have we ever worried about fuel in star wars maybe for the little ships but the big capital ships we know they're powered by some kind of reactors but reactors can run out of fuel but i took that as an indication of exactly how dire the situation is in terms of their position at the moment. They Do couldn't you know what just I mean? shovel the porgs into the neutron flow chamber. See that? Yeah, that didn't bother me at all. Didn't? Okay. I mean, obviously, they use it quite a lot for dramatic tension. Mm. So I can see why maybe that using having that as the the kind of core issue. But I don't know how else you would have done that. Story. It's kind of a rocker switch for me. You can switch. You can switch it to the other way and say, "Well, that's actually a good point. Mm. Logistics are a good concern in a in a space battle, uh, and it's really an important sort of thing." So you know, but it's just not been there before. So it, I stumbled over that. It's also coupled with that other thing that's a <laughs> that new other thing. thing. There's a new the element new thing. <laughs> of technological <laughs> ability, let's say, and it's coupled with that. So I think they've used it as a bit of a framework to make this yeah. conf- this um, bad spot, rock and a hard place. Um, they also rely upon um, bombs in this film a bit. I'm kind of a bit wigged out by that in space, but... Just that one time, though. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking about localised gravity fields, though, so I'm okay with that and the World War II metaphor and you needed to do it. But that, that had some of the kind of feeling that you get when you invent something for a, oh, yeah, for a dramatic okay. moment. Yeah, yeah, without, yeah. you know. Okay, that one, I can see why you take a pause. Oh, you can tell me, yeah, they used those before in um, Empire Strikes Back when they were bombing asteroids and stuff, you know. I think, okay, all right, we'll go with that. Um, but... I also think that somebody in the Star Wars universe should invent missiles. They have them, didn't they? Do they? I thought, no, someone said something about... They're proton torpedoes. They, oh, yeah, they have that high-powered, that one thing. But it's not a missile. No. No, and it's just like you'd save so many lives. Okay, maybe with your beam particle weapons you can shoot them down and stuff. But um, I mean, I think we're really splitting hairs. That, that is, but that's just the... 
the God, opening you've been prepping me for the opening rounds. There's a military tactic used in this film. Well, this um, is a tactic that's not really been hinted at before, mm. uh, and you really wouldn't have to be Tony Stark to think of it either. See, I got my Iron Man reference in there. You wouldn't even be have to be Justin Hammer to come up with it. Mm. It's a natural. Um, a natural uh, conclusion of the technology that they're using. Uh, and I really can't understand why they've never used it before. Let's, that's, that's okay. We must assume that there is a reason why it hasn't been used in eight films before. Mm. Eight films. Um, it, it's, uh, it's also something you could easily automate. And again, you'd have to ask, why not? Uh, <laughs> and this... This reminds me in a spirit in spirit of that shark jumping jumping moment in Star Trek Into Darkness when we were introduced to interstellar transporter beaming, mm. which potentially renders obsolete most future Star Trek yeah, stories sure. where they need to boldly go in actual spaceships. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about, but I think I know what you're talking about. Now, I'm not saying that peeps can't come up with new tactics. That's fine. But if you deploy something that's so bleeding obvious, you either tell us why no one and I mean rebels or imperials, and I certainly think the imperials would have done this, why they haven't used it in the course of eight other movies. And I bet that someone used it in the expanded universe stories, but all of that kind of went into the trash masher to be recycled into the Force Awakens new canon. You know, just throw me a freaking crate dragon bone, people, you know. And this is a big tactic and it's an important use and it's got a lot of dramatic weight to it. And I just think... He didn't give me it. I don't believe it. You've broken me out of the Star Wars universe. I'm not sure. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't read it. <laughs> no. No. No, not that one. <laughs> Megan just showed me that's a... That's the uh, thing I mentioned. Um, no, I mean... Yeah, that's what I thought you meant. Yes, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope no one saw that But then gesture. you used some other words that didn't fit with... Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. No, yeah. I agree with you. I I'm also thinking, thought that. What the hell? But, um... It, but all I'm saying is it would take one line. Yeah. Really. Oh, we couldn't use... We've never we been... We couldn't a, do that because Normally... X. X. We can only do this now because... And they already yeah. spent a great deal of procedural mucking around with other things yeah. about, <laughs> this is like the thing that we can't talk about, uh, messing around with other bits of tactics and stuff yeah, and, sure. and having elaborate explanations Reasons. around why they couldn't do this and that. And this was an important one and they said nothing. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. Okay. But it was cool. <laughs> it was cool, but it would have been even cooler. Yeah. And... If it had been explained. If, it, if there was just one line or anything or even a, you know, yeah. anything at all. About I, that. I do see, look, I honestly, I had that thought too. It tripped me right up. But. And I'm cruising along. I'm quite happy with the film. There's a few little things niggling me here and there. And then I come to that and I went, oh, no. And I've been, I thought about it for several days afterwards trying to come up with an explanation mm. and I couldn't really do it. I mean, I think, and I think that's where you sort of need to think about in terms of when we're viewing these things as part of a larger reality. Not a, not a Jar Jar Or reality. a larger um, logical framework. And I think I'm, I'm much better at this, I think, than you, Rob, because we've had these discussions before around... Um, disassociating yourself from those expectations or what's meant to be logical in that world and kind of taking some of the things on the chin and not having <laughs> it pull back the curtain so much. Yeah. Um, but I think your your curtain's always poised to be pulled back it could be. and kind of ruined for you. But, I look, I will give you, I had had a similar thought, because this film is not, didn't ruin it for me. This film is such a good film otherwise in many other aspects. Because I also think that it, at sort of at the end of the day there's a couple of things that I appreciate that those decisions were made purely because it's a film and they wanted it to look good or this plot point needed something to move it along. Like the cool red planet, no reason for it except it just looks bloody great. I'll have to get this salt from somewhere. On screen. <laughs> and... You know, no other reasons for some of the other things except it just plays out cool in a movie. Yeah. So I think, I mean, okay. that decision I think was definitely, but I do take your point. I think that, that there could have been something written. It's a, bit, it's a bit sloppy in research, I think. And it is a science yeah. fiction film. And this is actually the wonder that it's actually enough of a science fiction film where you actually can start pondering that. Well, that's true. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Uh, oh, where's the time gone? Where's the time gone? Fine. Uh, should we do final thoughts? Real we quick? will after um, after this. All right. Good. I'll formulate my thoughts. Anytime is a good time to subscribe to Triple R. Not only are subscribers filled with the warm and fuzzies by being a part of the Triple R family and keeping the station on air, there are a great bunch of benefits available too. Subscribers can flash their card all over Melbourne to receive hundreds of discounts on movie tickets, music and music gear, bikes and bike repairs, art supplies, home, personal and professional services, pets, vets and health, food and drink and a whole lot more. For the full list of subscriber discounts and more information on subscribing, head to rrr.org.au. Triple We're coming up to two o'clock with Astral Glamour coming on soon and it's Rob and Megan. Yes. Hmm. Really um, sucked up the time talking about The Last Jedi. Yeah, that's what Disney wants. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Next thing we know, we turn around and we're a (laughs) hundred. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, um, look, here's our – what's our wrap-up rating? What's your wrap-up rating? Look, I went into it and I really enjoyed it. I loved the action. Some of the comedy notes didn't hit right for me. A few of the character notes, I feel like we're growing a cast and I don't think everybody is necessary. Like, I didn't have much of a problem with Finn in the first movie, but I have a problem with him now and I also think he's a missed opportunity. I like all of the Ray kylo stuff. Mm-hmm. I like the discussion about the conflict between Kylo Ren and Ben Solo. And I think there's a lot of this film that I found to be quite tense and very energised, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, and it was very sexy. So all in all, I'm a yeah. I definitely am going to see it again, and that's not just because of a certain scene which people are a buzz about on Twitter. Um <laughs> And I really enjoyed it. And I think it was a really interesting entry and I think it did a lot of things that haven't been done before in the franchise, uh-huh. both good and bad. Take your point on that. And I think what I really want to see happen in the next film is grow some of the the seeds that were planted here. <laughs> and I also think that the tone is a nice mid-range between a Rogue One and a Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, I think it's better than a Force Awakens, definitely. I think they're, diff- they're very, very different movies. I think it, it froze down to, you know, if it, could have been, it could have been equal second for me for Star Wars movies because yeah. nothing can really top the first one in That's its, also, in its I think, simplicity. Because you saw that organically for the first time when it first came out. Mm. And I think, yeah, yeah. I, I personally like Empire the best. Um, but I wouldn't put this above Empire, even though I do have an issue with... Um, Rebels not having landmines, <laughs> but never mind. Um, we'll go uh, with, for me, I was, I was really, you know, apart from that big tactical thing, um, I would have given it a, a hearty, um, i got to see if I can do this, but I can't do that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I have to give it a, a yeah, not a, not a big, big rousing, just because of that, isn't that so petty? Do you think sometimes it's hard, like you're at a point now where you've consumed so much you know, is it hard to get excited about movies like this um, anymore? It's hard for me to get excited about Star Wars movies. Like, will it ever... Rogue One I did love. That's true. We Yeah, we talked a lot about Rogue One and I think... Because it was it's sufficiently nihilistic. <laughs> it's, it sits on its own and there were no yeah. expectations. And I think... I mean, sometimes I worry that... I don't know. My sense of wonder is gone. Maybe. No, maybe it hasn't. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Look, look how um, much I love Thor Ragnarok. Totally an un. Marvel's a different thing, I think, for you. Yeah. Well, All right, we can unpack this more next yeah. week. Thank you, Megan. Thanks, Rob. This has been a podcast oh. from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly oh. independent community radio. Want to hear oh. more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.